friends, you're listening to Worst Show Ever. I'm your host, CJ Boyd. I am at the home of Julie Holland. Um, hi, Julie. Hi. And her partner, Steve, is hanging out with us. May, may chime in. Um, maybe. He's welcome to, if you so choose. Uh, we're in Los Angeles. Uh, Highland Park? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I don't think I've been to this it's a nice neighborhood. My cousins have lived in this building for over 20 years now. Oh, awesome. And that otherwise, we I don't think we would be paying Highland Park rent. Gotcha. Or paying family rent. Gotcha. Um, so we're here because I want to hear about your show ever. Um, so we, before we started rolling, we were talking about worst show ever through the lens of uh, white male hetero, <laughs> yeah. hetero sexist supremacy and um, I hadn't thought about it that way because I just expect um, I expect to ha- uh, experience sexist abuse at every single show right and well, and I, can I just say yeah. I I usually don't say it because I don't and I've gotten a little bit back and forth about yeah. this I'm, I'm interested in input but I usually I do want those kinds of stories, but I also don't want to, like... I sort of want people to feel free to tell whatever story they want. Yeah. And I I feel like it's not cool to do that for men and then have women be like, but, like, tell me your most sexist story. and Or, like, have people of color, like, tell me your racist story, yeah. your homophobic story. So, for the most part so far, I've just been saying, tell me your worst show, and mm-hmm. then some women have had just had hilarious stories that have nothing to do with oh yeah you know gender or anything yeah imagine that no (laughs) right but it's like i don't want to stop that i don't want to um i don't want to sort of stack the deck in that way i guess but Mm -hmm. i am interested in that so well i went on one whole tour where my tour manager and his assistant staged a revolt against me for like two months solid okay and that was totally hellacious. And something that I read recently really helped me understand what was going on. Okay. Like, do you know, did you ever see that movie, The Love Witch? No. You gotta see so. it. Okay. Is it a recent movie or is it, an older one? It's like about a year old. Okay. I don't know about it. By this director, Anna Biller. Okay. And it's like, she talked about how over half the crew mutinied throughout the filming and just hated it and never saw it. Okay. And I was like, oh yeah, that's what happened to me. Okay. It's And it was just like some hatred of female authority type thing, I right. think. Because it's just so, I mean, it's just so hard to understand that stuff when it's going on. But it was hell. It was total hell. Um... But the worst show that I can think of that I wanted to talk about, because it's hard to, you know, because there's all different kinds of worsts. Yeah. I feel like doing this show, I'm becoming a connoisseur. <laughs> of, I have these categories in my head that I didn't before, because this con- the thing you're saying, which is totally legit, mm-hmm. you'd be surprised how many times people have said some variation of that sentence. They're mm-hmm. like, ah, but worst in what way? How? Yes. Let me count the ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do notice, as a rule, probably 90% of the answers have been the worst for the performer. Oh, yeah. And only a handful of people have thought, like, well, I played badly at that show. Like, it was worse in terms of 
my performance. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us artists are more concerned, I guess, with, with like how things affected me. Like I had a bad time. Well, I mean, there's the thing about having a bad show is so often you get off stage and you think you were terrible, right. and people are like, "Oh my god, that was the most beautiful thing I've right. ever heard in my entire <laughs> life." And you're like, "Am I alone up here?" Right. Like, does and then you, yeah. but but people just can't tell, and especially if yeah. you're professional and if you're like bringing it in some regard, people can't tell. Right. Sometimes, or only certain very sensitive people can tell. So, the the worst show that I can think of was at. In at Paradiso in Amsterdam. Okay. Uh, have you ever played there? I don't think so. Paradiso. No. It's real beautiful, and there's like two different rooms, and both of them are great. Okay. Um, but this was in the big room, and I couldn't find any food that I could eat before the show. Okay. And I I had like um, I was. I had been poisoned by a car battery like the like a few years before that and my gallbladder and my liver were really messed up. I don't think I understand. When you say poisoned, what do you mean? Like I drove I was driving this car and I smelled this horrible smell. Oh. It smelled like some really nasty smell in like a beauty parlor. Okay. Like a like a straightening hair thing or okay. like some real nasty perm smell, you know? And I didn't know what it was. And I had a long drive, like a ten hour drive, and I just rolled the windows down and I kept going and the car broke down at a certain point and I had called AAA and and they jumped it and it kept I just kept going. Because I was kind of in the middle of nowhere, and I didn't know what else to do. And then the next time the car broke down, this, like, gas started pouring into the car from from the engine. Right. And the battery did some crazy thing. So it was sulfuric acid gas was... Okay. So I got a long, slow dose of it, and then one big dose... And then in the next few days, I think three days later, I, like, couldn't eat anything at all. Oh, like, it was just terrible. Yeah. And I, like, crawled to my acupuncturist, and I was like, my stomach hurts. And she's like, that's your liver. Okay. And it was fucking awful for a few years. And I just, like... I couldn't digest fat, really. Okay. And there was very few things I could eat, and I got to be scared of food. Okay. It was so shitty. Um, So I was in Amsterdam, and I think I just didn't... You know, nowadays, I know how to eat before a show, like, so that you don't have, like, a blood sugar crash or something. But at that point in my life, like, I was just younger and stupider and... I was just scared of food. Okay. I just hadn't figured it all out. I I wasn't like I didn't know like oh this thing will work or whatever. Right. Um. So I just went on stage in the middle of like a long stressful tour with no blood sugar, and it was like a big 
beautiful stage with like and I was like in the spotlight and I just felt completely alone and like the audience was into it and I just felt like dying Mm. yeah I mean it was just like absolute existential angst up there and I was having to go through my songs and like deal with this intense existential angst it was just so horrible and then I I finally the show was over I got backstage and people wanted to talk to me and I couldn't deal with like seeing anybody I just felt like so apologetic yeah um and that's the worst show I can remember okay and now I feel like I understand what a writer is about you know like to to make sure that you even if you don't find any food that you can eat on the road that day like say you have some insane travel day um at least there's going to be food on the rider so that you can like get your blood sugar working before you get on stage so now was this you mentioned before about the the road manager who mutinied but this is a separate thing or is this totally separate okay just checking yeah that guy um he had just come off of a slide tour okay and he was just complaining about slide the entire time i'm not familiar with slide is like a um it's a band or oh yeah like the bay area band the like um sly and the family stone oh sly and the family stone yeah oh okay yeah i'm very familiar yeah yeah totally (laughs) very very familiar i just thought there was some band just called sly yeah i don't know that that's a pretty good that would be that would be uncool if somebody called themselves that (laughs) there's a lot of uncool bands out there so i I wouldn't put it past somebody yeah uh, you're totally right okay Uh, so they were complaining about sly stone yeah and And like he was saying yeah he was just like non-stop bitching about this tour that he had just been on right um i'm curious oh sorry did I no, no 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 i'm sorry go ahead well so this is also one of the fun things about this show is like i've been talking to people who are at like very many different levels of like how they're touring and yeah and what you know how long and where and, mm-hmm. and how but um so for you do you hire a tour manager? Does your label, does somebody else, does your, like, how did you come to have this guy work with you? I had a really inappropriate manager at okay. the time. Um, and I got that manager because he was literally the only manager in San Francisco. Okay. Like, there was two people that I knew that were managers, that any of my friends knew yeah. that were managers. You were living in San Francisco at the time? That's where I started my solo career. Okay. And at the time, San Francisco was, like, more of, like, a cultural backwater. Not a cultural backwater, but just, like, it was more sleepy. Okay. I mean, it was a cultural oasis, but it was just not a place where there was real music industry people. And this, this, my first manager was this real controlling narcissist, and... He was real secretive, and by the time I figured out what he was doing, I, I broke up with him. Okay. But it took me seven years. Okay. Because he was just, like, played me. Like, I'm kind of a sucker for narcissists, and I have to, like, be really careful okay. to not get sucked into, like, 
doing caretaking for narcissists. So that guy hired dude and oh my god it was hell he literally tried to bully me into complimenting him on multiple occasions okay like i'm doing a good job aren't i don't you think i'm doing a good job and he was like (laughs) he was we've we found out how old he was and he looked 20 years older than his age okay like there, my drummer uh, on that tour was just a little bit younger than him, and she could have passed for his kid. So he, yeah, he was built kind of like a Muppet monster. Like he was this big dude with a pot belly and like terrible posture, like big shaggy monster kind of okay. bullying me. Right into complimenting him and I was just in coping mode you know so you know and once we were on this tour I just I was like well you know we have X number of weeks to go just gotta get through it but yeah they just like I mean in classic narcissist fashion he blamed anything that went wrong on other people and um, that was a rough stretch how far so you said um, you started your career in San Francisco, and then was this well, manager towards the beginning of that? I started my solo career right. in in San Francisco. Um, yeah, I he was with me for the first seven years okay. of my solo career, and uh, those are formative years. That was like when I got uh, my first record deal. Um, it was not, it was not, good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but so was this tour pretty early on? Was this like no? It a was few the years in or? no. It was the final straw. Okay. It okay. was you know it was after that, I you know I I was talking to my manager at the time and I was saying like I cannot believe you hired this person. He's bullying me. He's just totally sucks. And my manager at the time said, Oh, I just thought you know he would be like a pro and not a bro. Was, what is that? I mean, oh my my uh, my first manager was kind of like a douchey surfer culture kind of a guy. Oh, okay. And like he meant bro in a positive way. Oh okay. Like he was saying this guy wouldn't necessarily be friendly, but he'd do a good job. Yeah. Okay. Whereas your other the other manager had been like really nice, but not doing a good job. Oh no! Oh no! He was saying I like the final straw with my manager yeah. was that he had hired that guy. Right. And the tour manager. And I mean the other thing is we didn't need a tour manager. Okay. Like it was all like my manager's idea that we really, really needed to have a tour manager. And his assistant. And his assistant. That's like sorry, I'm interjecting no. here, but oh. a fucking tour manager's assistant? <laughs> Who's that yeah. fucking heard of that shit? Unless you're like Doing huge arena tour, yeah. you know. Yeah. A tour manager's assistant. Sorry. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was. <laughs> I think this kid that was on as the assistant, it was like, I mean, it was just a sign of how lazy he was. You know. That's that's kind of where my mind went. Was this, the assistant is as bad as the? I mean, was the assistant any better than than the tour manager? No, the assistant was like a perfect lapdog to the tour manager. Yeah. Like, he was 
just totally rude and shitty and like was a horrible driver and okay. just stoned all the time and it was just an utter shit show and like yeah I just remember the scene of like this big Muppet monster looking dude towering over me and I'm like five foot three after I stretch mm. you know <laughs> and we had this great band opening up for us um, Herman Dune and like the, the lead guy did that portrait of me over there okay. whatever that's from yeah. the picture um, he's a really cool artist and he kind of like helped me see it too he like he the, like the opening band was so great and they and it was so good to spend time with them and it just helped they helped me like uh, contextualize everything that was going on right was that tour was that in the US or was that Europe or what was that it was in the states okay and then later on I opened up for them in Europe which was really okay. nice yeah it's funny when somebody's I mean I guess in any industry there's people who are bad at their job that's that's not specific to music or anything but especially when somebody's position is not necessary and and then they're also really bad at it mm-hmm. it feels like especially bad like I'm just thinking about you're saying the, the guy who I guess was the driver yeah was the terrible driver yeah like you don't really need a driver on tour but if you're gonna have one it's cool if they know how to drive well. yeah or just aren't stoned constantly right, right yeah I mean really I I learned at a certain point that a tour manager they can really be a serious liability like no matter how good they are there's somebody else in the van that's not an artist and they're trying to make their lives bearable for X number of weeks. And like usually what people need to do to make their lives bearable if they're like stuck in somebody else's deal is just talk and like orient themselves and that's great. But it's noise. Mm-hmm. And it's just it's a distraction from the work at hand. And like there's tour managers that I love you know that I I feel like they're family and I never ever want to go on the road with them again like (laughs) and it's not it's just like that's my attitude with tour managers and maybe um maybe I got that way because of all these terrible situations that I was in um I had one tour manager that was super fun just really adored him and all this money went missing Mm -hmm. and like I don't know what happened I don't you know I don't know whose fault it was but it was probably his fault (laughs) 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 Um, or like yeah it was his responsibility to to take care of like the money went missing on his watch Right. And I don't know if that was a absolute accident or or if it went up his nose or whatever. So my heart is open to the idea of a great tour manager. Uh, we have we have, and a, we have a we have a great tour manager now in but only in Europe. Okay. But he and can't come on this next he, tour because he's a doctor of sociology and he's going to speak at a conference in yeah. Georgia. In Europe, I Not, always feel like... Right, Georgia the, the country. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, uh, European uh, work ethic around music industry is just so different. Yeah. Um, and I think it just it just has to do with the culture of labor over there. Mm. That like people have a sense that they're on a team and that they're doing something important. And in the states, I feel like that attitude is just extremely rare. Like I really love the European attitude around like like I've been, I've worked on a couple theater projects. Yeah. Um, in Europe with um my wonderful friend David Coulter, who's this great um multi instrumentalist and he he does a lot of really amazing theater music and uh I don't know how to describe what he does because he does so many amazing things. But uh it's so great working with his crews. Like I don't know, there's just this sense of like really like totally heartfelt democracy in my experience yeah um with like when you walk into a club in france everybody comes and says hi they shake your hand Mm. they look you in the eye and they do a good job and in the states like i feel like a lot of the venues i show up at i just get really weird attitude Mm. and like you know snarky slash abusive comments from the sound people and um i mean guy um and or (laughs) or like there's like a we me and um my bandmates at one point made up this game find the producer no no sorry excuse me find the promoter like at the end of the night like who's that weirdo smoking out in the alley and all you see is like a little like orange light from the tip of their cigarette and the the awkward person who shuffles out of the alley and like is looking at their feet while they talk to you oh that's the person who's supposed to pay you right like <laughs> that doesn't happen in France you know like the, to me at least now that's interesting i will say I've had mixed experiences both in the U.S. and, and in uh-huh. Europe, but the first thought I had was just in terms of the economy, like just the that yeah. that I mean, you said the I forget the word I liked the way you phrased it, the culture of labor, yeah. right? That like arts are considered work in Europe, mm-hmm. and that I mean this is changing unfortunately, but I have friends, people I've played in bands with, and just people I've played shows with that earn a stipend from the government for for being artists mm. and that's that's a thing that happens in western <laughs> europe at least um yeah that right it's hard to even imagine that happening here yeah but i mean as a result i guess one of the thoughts is when you have the state sponsoring art whether it's festivals or venues or particular artists um it takes some of the pressure off, right? You can you can do that and also have a family if you want to or, like, also buy a home if you want to. Like, it doesn't mean... Yeah. Or imagine not dying in the gutter. Right. <laughs> right. But, I mean, that's... I think that's a huge difference, at least if we're talking about Western Europe, like, not the UK so much, but Belgium, Germany, France, the Netherlands. I feel like those countries 
there's just such an understanding. I mean, actually, my, my very first time playing in Europe, I think it was about 10 years ago, I had played a festival, and I remember I was having a great time. I was like, oh, my God, I'm at a festival in Europe, you know. I was, <laughs> I was in Belgium, and it wasn't a huge festival. It was just two stages where this was, like, a thing going all day, but, like, going back and forth between the two stages, and they were really close to each other. Yeah. Saw some great music, and I was ended up meeting a couple of people that were just like there as festival goers talking to them a little bit something came up about the price of the festival and it was something like 15 euros or something and I was yeah. and I was like what yeah. and I'm thinking and at that time I was being like my the band that I was with was being paid more money than I had ever been paid for a show yeah. which was not nearly as much as the headliners were being paid yeah but I was still like, if we're making this much, I know some of the bigger bands are making more. more and I'm yeah. just trying to do the math in my head. I was like, there's no way, based on the... I mean, it's a good-sized crowd. Yeah. But still, there's no way that at 15 euros a pop, mm-hmm. it's going to be enough to pay all of these bands, much less the whole crew that are running the festival. Totally. And they were doing a great job. Yeah. And it was my first experience of it but I was sort of just blown away I know it's so beautiful and this guy comes and meets you and then this woman over here is like showing you where to put your stuff and then there's like they've got food for you here and all this stuff where we were just like oh my god it's like you're coming to somebody's house yeah that likes you it's not that is what it's like yeah it's not like it's a guest host relationship yeah of like you're here we're glad you're here Let's make this as pleasant as possible for everyone yeah. involved. But you can do that. I, I mean, this is obvious probably now, but, but it, it was not obvious to me before this. I'm thinking, how do you, how are they possibly paying for this? So I went and asked the guy. I was like, hey, I'm just curious. Like, how does this work? Yeah. Like, and he's like, oh, no. I mean, all of the bands, all of, all of the artists here, those, are, those guarantees are subsidized. Like, those are being paid by the state. And then... Mm the money that we make at the festival is just to pay the staff uh-huh. and I was like oh okay that's awesome <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. like, that's cool it's really like, cool the, like the government is paying like thousands of dollars so that you can have this festival so that yeah. everyone can have a nice time also so where some of that money comes from is because the United States has different copyright laws than everybody else sure and a lot of that money is actually generated by copyright money that can't be paid to american artists so it goes into slush funds that get directed in european countries yeah so yeah it's really interesting so in europe you get paid for performing on the radio so, like, have you heard that, like, Aretha Franklin has, like, never made any money from R-E-S-P-C-T? Okay, yeah. Um, I don't know the details of this, but I've heard this sort of thing about, yeah, and folks who've never made any money. The reason why she never made any money off radio play on that song is because of American copyright law. So, in Europe, even if you didn't write the song, you get paid for performing it. Okay. If it's a, if it's on the radio, okay. In the states, you don't, and there's no reciprocity between the states and anyone else because they don't do the same. Right. They're not paying ABBA money for, or whatever. That's not a good example because ABBA probably wrote most of their songs. Right. Um, 
where and that so like that money just collects that the European companies I mean countries are paying to the artists from all over the world okay except for the United States and you know American popular music is huge everywhere right so all that radio play money is just collecting and it's going into European arts slush funds I'd never heard of this okay crazy so in one respect American artists are working for that right. and generating that money right well and I guess I don't know the specifics like I've, I've never tried to run a federal economy but uh, I'm aware that when you look at the numbers of like how much the US spends on military on like corn subsidies on like all sorts of other things Mm -hmm. it's not like i mean we all pay taxes i mean i don't but most people do (laughs) i mean i mean i do you probably don't generate x amount of income that would yeah i mean we all paid some form of taxes right yeah yeah pay sales tax you pay yeah you know income tax something but i mean this is just part of the debate right now when like people keep saying how expensive single-payer health care is and the issue is like yeah it's expensive but it's not like it comes out of nowhere. Like we pay for it. Like mm-hmm. we pay for these things, like libraries and schools and all these things that we don't think should be subject to just the what's the word market for the market exactly. Yeah. Not everything should just so we we do this all the time with things that are valuable to us. Why is health not one of those? <laughs> you know? Well, you Americans know. are paying way more than the international. Right. average for right. healthcare but they're just it's just not collectivized right and that's what I mean is that but it like we'd be paying less overall mm-hmm. but it would mean having our tax money pay for it and like either raising t- taxes or diverting some of the trillions that get spent on bombing brown people yeah <laughs> I can't do that so you know probably means a tax raise um but I guess yeah all that is to say if we, I don't see this ever happening, but if the U.S. wanted to also put money into arts on a large scale, it's not like we couldn't do it. It would be, mm-hmm. you know, it would come from somewhere, but we find money for plenty of other things that we could, it would just be a matter of priority. Countries can change really fast. Yeah. That's my, that's my, like, little mantra for the States. Okay. It's, you know, you look at, I mean, just history, like, look at how quickly Germany has turned on a dime so many times and um I don't I'm interested I don't think I agree with you on this but I'm I'm very interested <clears throat> in the perspective because I feel like people don't change that much but you're saying like how what do you mean like what's for the U.S. you mean you think that we're gonna we're gonna start funding art I'm saying it has happened I feel like the big changes are usually the other way (laughs) But they don't come out of nowhere either, right? That even the, like... No, no. The devastation of having, like, a fascist clown in office right now, it didn't come out of nowhere. And it surprised me, certainly. I'm not saying I saw this, the writing on the wall. Yeah. But in hindsight, like, oh, yeah, I can see all these things building towards it now. It didn't didn't just pop up. Yeah. You know? I mean, it was, like... It was also like, and the way I think about it is this: this, um, that's the backlash for having a black right. president in right. a country that was built on slavery. Right. And it's not not surprising to me at all that Russia, which is, has such a culture of 
you know, serfdom, which was slavery, um, is supporting all these white supremacist causes in, in the States. Yeah. But I liked before you sounded optimistic. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I need that. I need oh, that. Yeah. So well, I mean, to, think about, okay, like, me. think about uh, what happened in Japan. Like, they were a really militaristic, closed-off society, um, and super nationalist, and and then they made a change. And it's interesting looking at the dynamics at play there. Like, I am so fascinated with the history of um, Bhutto dancing. Okay, yeah. Um, and Bhutto dancing is, I mean, I can't really do it service, but do you know about it? Yeah, I'm pretty familiar. It's so amazing, the whole, yeah. the history of it. And, like, the elements that it combined. And some, I've heard some people say that it involved elements of German Expressionist dance. But one thing that it was a reaction against was uh, nationalism. Wait, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't Butoh also emerge after the atomic bombs? Yes. Being dropped? And okay. this is a heavy day to talk about that, too, because it's the. Um, what is it? Was it yesterday? Was the anniversary? Today is Hiroshima Day. Today oh, is shit, Hiroshima I no Day. I did not realize that. I don't know how many years it's. 2018, it was, what, 1945? Yeah, 45. So, 73, three years. Four, three years? Yeah. Yeah, so Butoh is a new art form that arose in reaction to the atomic bombs being dropped. Yeah. And it was like, an ex- you know, uh, an attempt to express the inexpressible. It was like an attempt to... Uh, you know, try to say the unspeakable, and, um, yeah, you, and uh, there was a really powerful culture of resistance to nationalism in Japan after the war, and, you know, cultures can do it, like, and I, and I hope that it doesn't take extreme tragedy to do it, but it, it gets harder and harder to imagine that it's possible without those kind of things. But yeah. but movement is powerful and we're all we're all a part of that. You know, we're like keeping these ideas in the vernacular and we're able to imagine different things. Yeah, like I said, I just I'm in this weird place lately where it's like I really love optimism but I can't Yeah. Can't get with it. Like I want it. Yeah. But I, I don't know how to not see everything else that's got me sort of like oh man we are we're so fucked (laughs) well I mean I think the only thing that's going to save us is movement and we're part of that so when you say movement do you mean like literal movement or like you're talking about like dance or are you talking about Um, I mean cultural movements that empower people to imagine different realities other than the planned obsolescence fascist March to neo feudalism, <laughs> and yeah. and the only thing that creates change is movement. You know that like you don't have top down alterations. You know you don't yeah. have like Richard Nixon waking up and being like, oh, it's a real good idea to like create all these legal protections for Native Americans. Oh, and also I'll just start Earth Day. No, that was not top down. Right, right. 
And also, without movement, even positive leaders that you sneak in there don't have any power. They don't have any ability to um, legislate things positively. Like, it has to come from the culture. I was remembering when you were talking about, you were saying, like, there's things that can galvanize, like, a bad show and turn it into a good show. Mm -hmm. And I was remembering we played that show in Switzerland, and it was, like, 100 degrees or something. It was really, really hot. You know how in Europe it's, like, climate change is, like, fucking them up? Yeah. I mean, right now it's, like, Uh. something, anyway. So they don't have AC in right. these venues, and so it was like a sauna, basically, and there were people packed in there, and everybody was sweating, and it could have been this like horrible experience, but because we were all kind of enduring, in it, everyone was enduring this thing, and it, it became this sort of beautiful experience because we were all suffering yeah. together. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it was a statement of real commitment to this was people who really wanted to hear us play music yeah they wanted to hear you play music but yeah us play music and also and so then I'm thinking of like that worst show can also galvanize your relationship right with your band or something like sure you have this horrible experience but you go out I'm just thinking of this time we played I booked this horrible tour and I booked a show in Delaware at like this place that was like a shitty like meth bar (laughs) it was I was with my friend my band Rob and Monica and we pulled up to this we had just had a really nice day in Philly we were like playing like 30 minutes away in Delaware right and we showed to this bar and it was like they were like oh yeah like you guys, it's open mic tonight. You guys are going to play in the middle of the open mic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was, like, complete, like, just, like, total fucking methed out people. And, like, yeah. the open mic was, there, there was wasn't, also... There was wasn't, like, like, a, a, like, some nice brie and charcuterie and, like, massages? <laughs> there was, like, a pool table and, like, maybe we got a couple free Budweiser. <laughs> but... It was, like, very... I think, like, the people who played before us at the open mic were a Grateful Dead cover band. And it was, like, fucked up. But also, like, then after we played, people were like, oh, man, like, you know, next time you guys should... You you should play at this place in Wilmington. You know, not this place. And, like, then we all got out of there and, like, we're like, holy shit, like, that was fucking insane. But... It brought us sort of together. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot. Some of my worst shows have been usually when I was by myself. Yeah. And there's, like, in addition to whatever terrible thing is happening, there's also, like, what am I even doing? Yeah. Why Why mm-hmm. did I come here? Why am I doing this with my life? There, yeah. there, it gets, like, you were talking about more, like, where hunger turned into existential angst. I think I was, like, so messed up that I wasn't even hungry. Right. You know, like, I, I just, like, was, uh, y- you know, when you when your blood sugar drops, your adrenaline rises, your cortisol rises, okay. and that stuff can really shut down the hunger, too. Okay. Um, I was just absolutely kind of strung out on my own stress hormones, basically. Right, right. But I, I think there's something about... Not that it always happens this way, but if you're with people that you love and that you, like, want to be with, and then 
you have a terrible show, there's at least this ability to be like, can you believe what yeah. just happened? Mm. Like, what in the fuck was that? Yeah. But I'm, that's also made me think about your situation where, like, the people who were supposed to be on your team mm-hmm. are actually, like, being really antagonistic, where that means that rather than it be a you and your crew against whatever odds, yeah. it, it becomes this internal fight, and that can be really... I can really fuck with you, I think, in a different way than when than when the antagonism is coming really totally from on the outside. Because at least that's... I mean, that's one of the nice things about tour is, like, you can have a bad show and be like, oh, my God, we get to drive away from there now. Like, we get to mm. leave. Like, yeah. that was shitty, but we're back in the van <laughs> going yeah. somewhere else now. And when the... This hasn't actually come up a whole bunch on this show so far, but I'm. it's kind of interesting... I think those shows where there's internal conflict within the band or within whoever's like touring and then you don't get to leave it behind. You're just entering right back into that world when you get in the, yeah. in the van or whatever. That's That can be really shitty. Did anybody talk about like going on tour with somebody that you're breaking up with? or? Um, this has come up a little bit. Have you had the experience of touring with people breaking up? I've been on the road with people that I had broken up with. Okay. Yeah, another that's another level of hell too, but I've also just been in. Maybe it's like a our culture hates female authority kind of a thing, but like sure. I get blamed for everything. Right. Like I there there's often like very little camaraderie with me. Well, you're it's weird for you because you're the band lead. It's. The band is Jolie Holland, right? Yeah. And you're employing everybody. Yeah. So you are ultimately, like, everything is your fault because it's your band and it's your choices that you... I'm not saying... You know what I mean. Um, like... Like, you employed all these people and so if they're assholes... Oh, yeah. No, I'm not... Right. ...choice because... Um... When I say my fault, I mean, like, any little thing that goes wrong. Like, everybody. Like, it's not it's not treated as, like, oh, that was, that was rough. It's like, yeah, there's this blame directed at me because my name's on the project. Um, right. Or, and also, I think, just sexism, too. Do you... Is most... Is your band pretty, like, mixed male-female? Um, I occasionally will have a woman in the band. Okay. Um, but like and right now I have a, a co band leader who's a woman. We okay. have a we have another band called Jolie Holland and Samantha Parton. Yeah. Um so she takes half the shit. I I sort yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to put you out of a job, Steve, but I feel like some people's approach to that if they find like constantly dealing with sexism among bandmates is mm-hmm. to not have dudes in their bands. Oh, yeah. I I had an all-female band. Yeah. And you can, I you didn't get I didn't get away from that. Okay. For sure. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, like I just realized as I said that it sounded like I'm like telling you how to deal with sexism like Oh, right. Oh, let me tell you. Let me mansplain sexism to you. <laughs> yeah, no, I had a I had an all-female I had an all-female band at one point at this Canadian band that I started. And, you know, I just think sexism is so wounding yeah. that unless there's explicit, really clear-eyed work against it, that it's just the norm. Yeah, that's right. You know? 
And, like, when I started that band, I was a super explicit feminist. And I was working at a, a women's shelter. I was, like, doing advocacy with... Uh, yeah, I was totally working as, like, a professional feminist. And their problems came up in the band. And I said, oh, oh, well, let's just use nonviolent communication. And I know how to do it because I, I use it in these other contexts. And... Um, uh, you know, we can figure this out. And they just didn't want to. Like, they just wanted to fight. Okay. And it was just, it was just, I couldn't deal. It was just too, too much chaos. Yeah. And that's, and it wasn't interesting to me. It wasn't why I wanted to make music. Right. So I quit that band. Right. Um, we were talking about Peach Jam earlier. Mm hmm. Do you want do you want some toast with peach jam? Sure. Awesome. Do you eat butter? <laughs> I'll, sure. I'll do it so you guys can. Eat. I don't want any because I'm stuffed. We had really good Ethiopian food. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's great. Uh, well, do you wanna do you wanna wrap do you wanna end this? I think we got way off topic. As oh, I, as I to. Well, it is. I mean, but that is the topic. So, yeah. Um, I don't know. How do you, how do you wanna wrap it up? Oh, I don't mean the. Uh, I mean, do you want toast? Is plenty. Right? Um, I, I, I'll just. <laughs> I feel like that was a nice, <laughs> nice way to say. Oh uh, yeah, but yeah, there's there's peach jam. There is peach jam, <laughs> and um, my our friends David Ivar Herman Dune slash Black Yaya grew these peaches and the Yeah. Yeah. It's a great it's a callback. With um and his lovely girlfriend Neon and Ania, who has a vegan shoe company called The Good Guys. I'm sure also worked on this peach jam.